there can be coarse language and adult concepts in our program. So please watch out for little ears that might be running around if you've got your podcast playing or pop on some headphones and that way no one can get offended but you. Thanks for tuning in to the Writes for Festivals podcast where we bring you some of the best sessions from regional writing festivals all over New South Wales and beyond. We are so proud to be bringing you sessions from the first inaugural Story Fest 2019 in Milton. This panel is The Power of Sound with David Hunt, Catherine Collette and Alison Tate. Hosted by Pamela Cook. Before we get started, we'd like to give a massive shout out to the Ulladulla High School Didgeridoo Group, who have generously given us permission to use their Welcome to Country as our theme music for the Storyfest episodes. We feel honoured for the privilege. Uh, welcome everybody to The Power of Sound. Um, it's been a really big day for Storyfest and it's great to see some people here for the afternoon and there is one more session following. So hopefully um, everybody will be hanging around for the last two sessions for the day. To begin with, I would like to acknowledge the Murramurang people who are the traditional custodians of the land on which we're meeting today. So we'll get on with the introductions. Um, I would like to wel- welcome our panel guests, Catherine Collette, Alison Tate and David Hunt. Catherine is the author of The Helpline, published by Text Publishing in 2018. She also co-hosts the First Time podcast with Kate Mildenhall. Uh, Part reality show, part writer's masterclass, The First Time is about the first time you publish a book. Season one followed Catherine through the publication of The Helpline and listeners got to hear as she traversed all the major milestones from getting an agent to signing contracts, launching the book, and the podcast also includes interviews with top Australian writers, including Graeme Simpson, Tony Jordan, Melanie Cheng and more, which is exactly why we wanted Catherine on our panel today. According to his author bio, sorry, I'm coming back to you, Al, um, <laughs> on the Blackie's website. way more interesting than I am. And I'm, you know. Saving the best for last. Um, David Hunt is apparently an unusually tall and handsome man who likes writing his own bios. For all the books he's written. This is true. (laughs) All true. You can't talk yet. I'm still introducing you. Um, David is the author of Gert, The Unauthorised History of Australia, which won the 2014 Indie Award for Nonfiction and was shortlisted in both the New South Wales Premier's Literary Awards and the Australian Book Industry Awards. True Gert, the sequel, was published in 2016, as was a book for children, The Nose Pixies. You may have seen David, David reading from his latest children's book, My Real Friend, this morning. If you were one of four or five people, you <laughs> may have seen me reading this morning. It's a very exclusive yeah. crowd, very. The important people. Um, and David also co-hosted the Rums, Rebels and Ratbags podcast with Dom Knight for ABC Radio, a podcast described as history not for the faint-hearted, uncovering the characters and events left out of your high school history class. Alison Tate. (laughs) Now it's me. (laughs) If you're a writer or a parent of tweens, you may already know Alison Tate. Alison is the co-host of So You Want to Be a Writer with Valerie Koo. Writing as A.L. Tate, she's also the internationally published best-selling author of the middle grade adventure series 
the Mapmaker Chronicles, and the new Adaban Cipher. Is the right pronunciation, Al? Adaban Cipher? Correct. A multi-genre writer, teacher and speaker with more than 25 years' experience in magazines, newspapers and online publishing, Alison lives on the south coast, not very far from Milton. Not very far from Milton at all. That's right. God's country. <laughs> Would you welcome our panel today to the power of sound? So this session is all about the sort of rise and rise of oral storytelling. Um, you know, it's a medium that over the last few years has just seen a massive growth. Audiobooks are the fastest growing sector of the publishing market, with total sales doubling to over 2.5 billion in the last five years. With the rise of the smartphone, we no longer have to deal with clunky cassette tapes, carrying abridged versions of our favourite classics, or scramble around under the car seat looking for that scratched CD recording of Harry Potter to keep the kids quiet on the car trip. Similarly, according to Listen Up Podcasting, as of May 2019, there are over 700,000 podcasts available and over 29 million episodes out there for our listening pleasure. And there are new ones popping up each week, if not each day, probably, if we really wanted to, to look at that closely. So I thought we'd start with audiobooks today. And I'd start with a little personal question about perhaps your own favourite audiobooks. Are you a listener, first of all? And if so, when and where and what do you listen to on audiobook? Catherine? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I am a listener of audiobooks. Probably, I think like most people, I listen to audiobooks alone, generally in the car or doing things around the house. Um, I Probably one of my favourites is Anna Funda's Stasi Land. Mm. It's a phenomenal audiobook if people haven't read it, a phenomenal book in general. Um, but recently I was reading Joanna Nell's Single Ladies of the Jacaranda Retirement Village. Mm. That is the first time I've bought the ebook and the audiobook and switched between the two. And the oh. beauty is it wherever you're up to in one, the other one catches up. It's amazing technology, isn't it? Phenomenal. <laughs> you, you can't actually do that with mine. I've actually had to rewrite my book for audiobook format because of the footnotes. Ah. So it's different from the ebook. Yeah. And so people keep on sending me angry messages. <laughs> Why can't I sync it? Well, it's funny you. Damn that. technology. Yep. <laughs> it's interesting because I was hearing you read um, True Gert. And it's interesting you say that about footnotes because the nice thing about being read to is you don't have to decide mm. whether to wait to read the footnote or to – because you just do that for you. Mm. <laughs> so, Al, are you, are you an audiobook listener? To be perfectly honest with you, I'm not okay. an audiobook listener. I'm so sorry. I, know, I don't understand right. we'll why I'm stay. here at all, That's really. Fine. Am I allowed to stay? <laughs> um, so – the reason I'm not, an, I, I have um, tried audiobooks, obviously, um, because they do make an awful lot of sense, I feel, in today's world. Um, but the reason that I'm not an audiobook listener is I don't actually spend a huge amount of time in my car and I don't commute. Um, and I feel like those are the kinds of places where people are actually really tapping into audiobooks and it's not something that I, that I do. Um, and part of the other reason is that I am such, um, I, even now, I mean, I have always been a hugely voracious consumer of books. Um, and even now, even though I have children, even though I write my own, even though I have all these, you know, I'm still, I'm still cracking through a book or two a week um, on top of all the other things that I do. And part of the reason that I do that is because I read really, really fast. Mm -hmm. And I find 
um, that when I'm listening to someone else read to me, I get a little bit frustrated. Um, so I, yeah, I know, like it's, it's just, it's all about me really. You know you can increase the speed. I know you can, but it's not, that's not the same. <laughs> it's like having someone talk really quickly at you is not the same as reading, you know, reading the way that I read. Um, so yeah, so I haven't, I'm a bit, a bit of a slow adopter of the whole audiobook thing. And often the other thing is too, like people say to me, yeah, but you walk a lot, Al, you know, you walk your dog and you do your thing. And, um, when I'm doing that though, I'm actually writing mm. in my head. So mm. I don't want the interference. So that's probably, I'm, I'm not much fun for the panel on the audiobook end of scales. Sorry. That's all right. We'll, mm. we'll catch you up move, on the podcast move on. end. Move on quickly. <laughs> David, are you an audiobook listener? I'm actually the L. McPherson of the audiobook world. I, I I refuse to listen to any audiobook that I haven't written and narrated, and I actually I actually don't listen to them either. Um, I for some reason Audible. This was the the first book that Audible recorded in Australia. So I used to go out. Audible used to say, "Come out and promote audiobooks," and I'd go and I'd sit in rooms like this, and 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 they'd say, "Do you read audiobooks?" And, uh, don't like them much. Um, I think I think they are they are one of the things that I find useful about them um, is you can almost create a sense of theatre through a good audio book. It's actually a different experience from reading. Um, so in my audio books, I do two hundred and twenty very very dodgy foreign accents and and voices, um, which you know. Five stars for trying, two for execution, <laughs> and great sound effects, and way. and and sound effects. So in in that sense, you can you can create something that's not there on the page. Mm. That being said, I love paper, um, and I will buy books from bookshops, and occasionally I'll read an ebook, um, but as a general rule, I, I I don't consume them apart from things like Harry Potter and and. Yeah you know, The Wind in the Willows and some of those those children's classics. So um, I was going to ask this later, but we'll skip to it now because you've mentioned about narrating. You narrated your own audio books. Um, yes. Which, you know, I guess for – how long ago would that have been? That, that I narration? did – so this was, I think, the first one. Um, uh, so Audible came here in, I think, 2015 or 16. Okay. So it was a couple of years after mm. it had come out in print. Mm. And it involved sitting in a theatre about three times the size of this one with a Greek sound engineer whose English wasn't much good and it was just get it in the can and keep going. And there's one horrible thing where I do an absolutely awful Chinese accent that I, this is why I don't listen to my own audiobooks. It is so horrendously racist. And I said to him after doing it, I think that sounded really bad. Oh, no, mate, that's great. Keep going. And so the first time I heard it was when I heard the audiobook and... Um, uh, yeah, no, that was that was not a good experience. Not a high spot. Is that what you're not, saying? Not no. a high spot. So just fast forward on four 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 times the speed for the bits <laughs> that I do in uh, with 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 my Chinese characters. And you you narrated both books. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I think there's a, a real difference between fiction and and nonfiction. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the large publishing houses favour voice actors for for fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and for a lot of non-fiction as well, but they're, they're more willing to let um, non-fiction authors do their own audio books. And given that I'm a writer and, you know, I will do anything for a few bucks because I'm a writer, <laughs> getting paid a bit extra to, to, to narrate the audio book seemed like a good idea. Yeah, yeah. fabulous. Catherine, your book, The Helpline, came out uh, simultaneously, I believe, in print and audio. 
Is that right? It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so was what was your involvement as the, the author of the book? Did you have any input into the audio process? You know, were you able to choose narrators or have any input into that whole... They, there was a little bit of input. They did send uh, actors, a number of actors who were reading sort mm. of the first chapter, which was a very exciting mm. process that I engaged pretty much everyone I know in. Um, <laughs> Listen to this. Uh, yeah, who do you like? Um, but aside from that, you know, there were one or two things, like I have some text in the book that is redacted. So it looks, when you read it, it looks like it's all been blacked out. Uh, so one of the questions they came back and said was, how would we convey that in an audio sense? Um, mm. But they just did a beep Okay, mm. yeah, interesting. So it does throw up all those challenges, doesn't it? Things that you can do on the page in print don't always necessarily translate well, that's into that audio format. Also, yes, there's also a few pictures in the book, so they got me to describe the pictures in the character's voice. Okay, interesting. Yeah. And ha- did you actually enjoy listening to Have you listened to the I whole thing? I have not listened to it, you haven't no. listened to it? <laughs> My uh, husband hasn't read the book, but he uh, has the audio book and he sometimes puts it in the car to listen to and it's, it's a very off-putting experience to get in the car and then hear it sort of as the car. Do you start editing it again in your head? Yeah. You know, oh, I yeah. should chop that word out. It's or, weird. Yeah. <laughs> Al, your Map Maker, Map Maker Chronicles and your other, you know, kids' books or middle-aged books, middle-grade books, sorry. Yeah. Um, have they been turned into audiobooks? They have not at this stage been turned into audiobooks, um, which is now that we're here on this stage having this conversation, <laughs> I'm thinking, why not? <laughs> why have we not done that? And I suspect it has something to do with the fact that I probably haven't really, you know, followed up with that and haven't mm. followed it through at any stage. But now that we've had this conversation, <laughs> I've added it to my to-do list, people, and I'm going to go home on Monday and have those conversations mm. um, because I know that – so this is something I do know. Um, I, I – um, as part of my many things that I do, I run a Facebook group called Your Kids Next Read, um, which is a Facebook community of parents, teachers, booksellers, authors, anybody interested in finding the perfect next book for a kid because everybody knows how difficult it is when you've got you've either got a voracious reader who wants to read the whole world and you run out of stuff or you've got a kid who won't read it all and you're like, God, I just need the right book. What's it going to be? So we have this whole community. There's like 7,500 people in this group. Like you ask a question, be prepared is all I'm saying, to go to the library with a list about this long or to your bookseller. Um, and one of the things that comes up in that group regularly is the popularity of um, audiobooks for kids. Kids love them and families love them for car trips, for those sorts of, you know, the sort of thing that when I was a kid we all sat in the car and sang songs to entertain ourselves and my poor father. You had songs! We had songs. (laughs) My poor father to this day cannot hear Country Roads by John Denver without going into sort of like... PTSD. Um, but now you can actually just listen to audiobooks, which is a much better option. Mm. Um, and they are really, really popular. And they, that's a question that comes up a lot is, you know, okay, we've done Harry Potter and we've done this and we've done that. Um, what's the next one going to be? And a huge number of children's books are now coming out mm. in audio format um, to the great delight of the market. Yeah. So, Alison, take note, follow up the audiobook. Yeah. Put that on your to-do and, list. And I know that mm. at great personal cost because I was I was shortlisted for the audio book of the year at the uh, Australian Book Industry Awards for for True Gerd, 
and it was won by the 64-storey treehouse, which is which is a book with bloody pictures in it. Everything gets won. So, by the, don't feel special because we've all been beaten by a treehouse at some oh, point. I know, but I thought, hello, it's it's a book with pictures. That's that's not going to do it. Oh, I was and horrified. And it still beat you. Yeah, I, I I also for the same one, I was shortlisted for a prize uh, for, for for humor writing. And lost out to a book about suicide. So, <laughs> audiobooks to a kid's uh, book. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, no, just, yeah, it was just no, too much. Very disappointing <laughs> experience. Who invited him? Like, really? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the audiobook industry, as I was saying in the intro, has grown enormously and it's continuing, you know, by, by the week almost, it seems. And Audible, as you mentioned, David, it, it was the, the sort of big number one company. I think they're still very prevalent. But there's lots of other companies popping up. Publishers are now starting to set up their own uh, sort of audio section, you know, so that they're basically doing, yeah. doing it themselves rather than outsourcing. It has opened up a whole world, new world, I guess, for the acting fraternity as well in terms mm. of, you know, it's providing gigs for, for actors who I think there's a, um, there's a novel out, Daisy Jones and the Six, um, and Jennifer Beale, who was in... I think Pride and Prejudice, yeah. um, Benjamin Bratt, they're narrating on it. It's a massive cast in that, you know, with different voices being done by different actors. Um, can you sort of think of or have you come across or know of any other sort of side effects, I guess, of for the publishing industry in the rise of audiobooks? Whoever there, wants there, to there, has, there was traditionally a fear that it would cannibalise mm. the, the print mm. market in the same way that there was a fear that e-books would cannibalise the, the bookshop market. And I don't think it's done that. I think it's actually added an extra market to the industry. Mm. But certainly now publishers are thinking a lot more about audiobook production. Originally, audiobooks in Australia were often read for the blind. Um, um, and uh, there was a, a charity that was effectively licensed to, to read books. And there's one version of Gert that before Audible that was just you know, somebody off the street literally reading it for for blind people. Yeah. But production values are really mm. increasing and for the, the second time around I got a sound booth and a sound producer mm. who spoke English and could say, no, nah, that just sounds horribly racist, do that <laughs> <Right>. again. <laughs> um, so I think people are thinking about it a lot mm. more now and mm. publishers are finding new ways to monetize it, including making their own in-house. Yeah. Often people will buy both. That's the thing I find interesting, mm. particularly with the children's market. Um, and, again, this comes from my anecdotal research from my 7,500 members. Um, but they will often have both. Like it will be something like if the kid loves the book, then they will get the book in audio book as well for, to listen to like in the car or whatever. Or what they do also with kids who are reluctant readers or who are struggling to read is they buy both and the kid reads the book while the book is read to the kid. Um, and it's kind of like it's a way for them to, to kind of, you know, do both of those things at the same time. So I think that that's an, that's an interesting um, side yeah, effect. It's actually an enhancement to that whole literacy thing too, it, isn't it? Can it? You know, be, it can be. It can be. The voice. Definitely, yeah. Mm. It's also the technology of like how audio is delivered that's really helped, I think. Because mm. I can remember borrowing the the audio books that were read for the blind when we would go on long tri car trips as mm. kids. Mm. But they were massive. Like, you know, you would have sort of a cubic metre of tapes carry around. Yeah. yeah. So in terms of, um, you know, I guess the effect on the publishing industry and on, on the readers, 
you know, when e-books came out, there was this massive fear in the publishing fraternity for a, a while and maybe still for some that, you know, it was going to be the demise of print book and I think that has evened out a bit. You know, audio seems to be the new sort of e-book, I guess, in that sense. Um, do you think it's it's an, a great addition to our sort of reading, you know, practice to, to be able to have this there as, or do you think it is going to have a, a detrimental effect on people reading, say, print books? I give audio books a lot to my kids, actually, who are mm. quite young. They're five mm. and three. Um, and I feel like for them it gets them consuming more stories. It's also good for some books don't date that well. Um, things like Enid Blyton's The Magic Faraway mm. Tree is a book I loved as a kid, mm. but reading it to my kids as an adult, it's really tedious. Um, but Kate Winslet does it. So okay. it's sort of... Yeah. Um, Kate Winslet can read it for me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so sort of bringing times. that to life, I guess, bringing those old classics maybe to life yeah. in a new way. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I think a lot of time poor parents are also looking for ways to ensure that their kids, you know, everybody knows that reading to kids is really, really important. And they know that the, you know, that kids getting stories is really, really important. But, you know, when you're um, particularly, you know, some of the parents that that we're in touch with, they're in the city, they're both working, then no one's getting home till eight o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing that that anyone has time or inclination to do is read stories. Mm -hmm. But what they'll often do is put the kid into bed with the book and the and the voice, um, and I don't I don't think that that's something that you want to be doing every night. Personally, mm. I think that there, there's neat that it. I think one of the greatest joys in life is actually reading to your kids. Yeah, that connection. Um, and it is a it is a wonderful thing, but it is something that you need to have time for. So if you can't do it every night yourself, then you know the fact that Kate can do it for you um, a couple of nights a week or whatever means yeah. that the kid isn't having to wait you know five days for another chapter mm. for starters, um, and it just allows them to still get that because it's about hearing how stories work and mm-hmm. I think that that is so important for feeding into their creativity and their own writing at school. So to me it's a kind of a win-win from that yeah. perspective. And, and I think it's actually really good for older readers. So Absolutely. you've got a few books um, that are published in large print but even those are harder for, for some people to read. So mm. I've had lots of yep. older readers say, do you have an audiobook version so I can sit down and, and hear it rather mm. than physically having to Absolutely. to manage the issues of print. So mm. I think that in terms of um, expanding the market, there's a lot of that at the the other end of the age well. age age range yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. covering yeah. the whole gamut sort of thing. Yeah. 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 Um, which sort of brings us, well, in a roundabout way, brings us to podcasts because we, we have limited time. So I want to get on to that too. So Alison... I want to start with you here. I think you've possibly been podcasting the longest of all of us. We're all involved in podcasts on the stage. but um, Uh, Yes. Can you tell us when, why and how you got into the podcasting game? um, So I started podcasting and I have to really think about this because I just feel like I've been doing it for 100,000 years. (laughs) Um, But I think it was about three years ago, maybe four years ago. Um, so my podcast is called So You Want to Be a Writer and um, I co-host it with Valerie Koo from the Australian Writers' Centre. Um, now, Valerie and I have a long-standing friendship. We we shared a – this is how far back we go – we shared a cubby. We like to call it a cubby. It was like a windowless, airless 
kind of <laughs> cupboard um, at Clio um, back in the day. And we were in this sort of in this cupboard together for a little while. And uh, we became friends then and we've stayed in touch for a long, long time. So we have, you know, we have a shared history. And we, um, I started teaching with the Australian Writers Centre about 10 years ago. Um, and we were sort of like, I don't know, she'd heard, because Val- the thing you need to understand about Valerie is that Valerie is an early adopter of all things and I am not I'm a Luddite <laughs> so we make the perfect team for everything really so she kind of said to me one day I think we should do a podcast why Valerie why would we want to do that let's look at all the other things we're doing and why would we start podcasting but she was quite keen on the idea and so we started because we were speaking to each other once a week chatting about writing and publishing anyway she's like we'll just record these we'll tidy them up and make them clean and make them friendly and we'll record them and then we'll do some author interviews and I'm like okay let's do that so 280 episodes later no 285 episodes later we're still doing it we've had well over a million downloads on the podcast um and it has turned into one of those things that has become bigger than it's the sum of its parts in a lot of ways. We have a huge community um, that we collect in a Facebook group and they all, you know, bolster each other's writing dreams. And um, it, for me, has been a very interesting exercise in um, the intimacy of podcasting. It's a really intimate medium and you don't even realise it until um, you've been doing it for a while. So I talk to Valerie. I, I do my author interviews. I talk to Valerie. It goes out into the world. I never listen to it ever and it just goes off and then one day I'm walking down the street near my house and this woman drives past me and I can hear my voice coming out of her car at an enormous volume and she's out the window going I'm listening to your podcast I'm like this is really weird you know I didn't know her so that was a very strange thing but yeah it's a really intimate people the thing about podcasting is that people um they develop a relationship with you because you're in their ears and they hear your voice and they think they know you. And it's been um, a wonderful um, exercise in, in, in how that intimacy, Mm. you know, between people can develop even when you've never met. Mm. It's interesting because the intimacy is both for the listener, but it's also in the act of creation. Absolutely. Because it's, it's two people talking. Two people talking. Absolutely. And we did a, 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 our first event at Vivid um, Festival a couple of weeks ago. It was the first time we've ever done a live podcast. But I was like, we should do this. I'm like, do we know how? <laughs> no, but we'll figure it out. Okay. So we did this thing and there were 200 people in the room um, at this event and we kind of conducted a live version of our podcast and it was the strangest experience mm. because it was the same. It was just me and Val talking to each other but there were 200 people looking at us and I was like, this is really odd. So, yeah, that yeah. was strange. Yeah, that's it's a massive mm. development, I guess, in your, your whole podcasting life. Absolutely, yeah. yes. Yeah. Podcasting has been a, a, an interesting journey and we have days where we're like, why are we doing this to ourselves? <laughs> because it takes a lot of time. Mm. Think, I think people think podcasting is something that you can just like, oh, you just record it and you send it off and that's what you do but it is that there's a huge amount of time involved in the back end of mm. of a podcast that you never hear um when you're listening to the actual podcast so it is a time-consuming thing to do but I think for us it's just been an a, an excellent um exercise in the creation of community mm. we've really created an amazing community mm. around it um and a very supportive community to the point where we Having done everything backwards, um, we now have a book called So You Want to Be a Writer, which is all about sort of the things that we bang on about constantly in our podcast but in book form. So, yeah, Mm. so we kind of went back to front with that. Yeah, done the flip flip version. Yeah. Yeah. 
David, how about for you? Your podcast uh, was with ABC Radio and it was obviously a version of, of Gert. Um, yeah, how did that hap- come about? Uh, look, it's sort of, yeah, the, the sort of slightly straighter, um, more ABC-friendly, slightly less gay sex um, than, than, <laughs> than, than the books. Oh, um, uh, so, look, that came about because they were looking at setting up a a podcasting stream and they wanted to to try a number of things. So I literally had some guy send me an email and say, would you like to do an Australian history podcast? Mm-hmm. So um, it, it was it was a good experience. So I did it with Dom Knight who was in Sydney, um, the sort of, um, uh, sort of late afternoon right. um, yeah. host, early evening host um, on, on ABC Radio. Um, for a while and I hadn't known Dom beforehand so I thought it was a really interesting thing. It took a while to get the chemistry going because he's sitting down with somebody who's a stranger and doesn't actually sort of know your content and that was what I found interesting about it was actually learning how to work with another person with with a different style Um, and we tried you know doing ones that were fairly heavily scripted or ones that were not scripted at all and just played around with, with the form for a bit. So they they're actually probably quite different in the way they sounded because we were still sort of trying to work out in 2016 before podcasts had really sort of mm. got as Took popular off, as they yeah. are now. Exactly how to um, how to do one. Mm. Yeah, mm. it was a good experience. Yeah, yeah. And, and Catherine, um, the first time podcast that you do with Kate. How did you sort of you guys come up with that idea and and sort of get into that? Um, so I guess that kind of happened in the lead up to the helpline coming out. Mm. Kate was the only published author that I knew at the time, <laughs> so whenever anything happened, like I would be going to do a presentation on the book to booksellers at a book selling event, mm. or um, planning the launch, or you know getting your first review, all that sort of stuff. I would ask her about what happened and we sort of um over time you know we both listened to a lot of podcasts we listened to Alison's podcast (laughs) um we thought it is a great medium Mm. you know it's so we sort of mapped it out and we would talk at different milestones and then we would interview other authors about their first times and how did you go about teaching yourself how to actually do the podcast, you know, in terms of the production side of it? Or is that something that you outsource? Well, we were actually really lucky. We met with the people that um, produced the Garrett podcast, which is quite a well-known podcast about um, – it features different Australian authors. And they said that they had gotten partners very early on in the piece for theirs. And so we thought, great, we'll get some partners. Um, so we got the Victorian Writers' Centre – the ACT Writers' Centre and RMIT. And the thing that RMIT offered us was uh, studio space and editing and production. Mm. They would do that for us. Fantastic. So So you guys are actually in the studio together when you're recording yours? We are. We sort of – each episode has sort of two parts and the first is Kate and I talking and then the second will be an interview. And we do all of the – we try to do all of the interviews in person. Mm. Fantastic. What about you, Al, with Val? Do you – you're not in the same space, are you, when you're recording? No, and I'm I'm kind of envious because (laughs) yours sounds very professional. Um, No, we we actually record our whole podcast with me on the South Coast and Valerie in Sydney and the authors we interview are wherever the authors may be. Like one of the – I think this – 
this episode's author, um, Peter Rock, is based in Portland, Oregon. And the random story about that is that he's a guy, he was an exchange student in year 11 at Nara High School in my English class. Uh-huh. And he's now the author of 10 works of fiction that have been made into movies and he's a professor of creative writing um, at Reed University. So I interviewed him um, and he was there. So we do all of ours mm-hmm. via Skype mm-hmm. using Audio Hijack, which basically records it. Um, and then we have a, um, Valerie uh, at the Australian Writers' Centre has a couple of specialists who kind of tidy it up a bit for us. So one of the things for us has always been um, that our podcast is – uh, because we do it weekly, um, it has been weekly for years. We have so many episodes. Um, and it's one of those things where we sometimes get people say to us, oh, the audio quality on that particular interview wasn't great. And we just have to say, look, we're really sorry. The only way that we can do this for you is 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 this is how we do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like, well, you know, weighing up on balance, um, The I think most people listen to us because – the amount of information and useful information that we offer um, and that comes through in our author interviews because um, we are always got in our heads that our, we know our audience and our audience is aspiring authors, um, although we, we apparently have a, quite a range of people that listen now that aren't, don't even want to be writers. They just want to have a listen um, for, for who knows what reason, but whatever. <laughs> that is that thing, though, of listening to a conversation. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You yeah. see that with Chat 10 looks straight. Yeah, it's pure. Yeah. It's kind of voyeuristic. Like it's eavesdropping. Just, yeah, yeah, I think, and I think that's. So what you it want is. to be a voyeur? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you want to be a random listener? Okay, whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's that's the only way that we can manage uh, the the volume that we do, and the you know that that we do. And generally speaking, the audio is quality is is probably what I would consider to be probably eight out of ten, and yours is probably ten. So, you know, on average, we're doing all right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you? How's your audio quality? A uh, couple of jam tins, a bit of string between them. Um, <laughs> that's not, not our, that's no, not, not mine. Like. So the first one I did was was produced by ABC Radio, mm. and therefore you're in a studio. Awesome. You've got a sound mixer. Beautiful. You've got a somebody yeah. off going and doing the production. Um, so I didn't have to worry about any of that, which was beautiful. I then um, did did a couple for Triple M, do podcast one. Um, which is now an increasingly large part of their radio network's business. They're producing really quite quality podcasts. I did one on the sort of history of early alcohol consumption in Australia, which was good because they gave me a free bottle of scotch. Nice. Um, um, and I've just done for the TV, I've been a TV presenter with Foxtel and Foxtel wants to do an accompanying podcast to help promote the TV show, which is really interesting from a marketing point of view. They're trying to put a podcast out there on SoundCloud and those sorts of platforms that people will listen to, then realise it's a TV show and and watch the TV right. show. So it's all that cross-fertilisation It's quite Yeah, I've yeah. got and, – and they clearly don't have an idea how to make a podcast at Foxtel. They said, oh, this is a very expensive business and said, well, we're, we're two jam tins and a bit of string. No, it's pretty easy. <laughs> Um, you did not say yes. Presenters get a lot of money. Uh, well, no, 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 certainly, certainly, um, no. They seem to be spending it all on all, all on production. But it is interesting because uh, part of it, I, I did one last week, which involved interviewing somebody um, at the Callan Park, the old mental asylum in Callan Park. Yeah. Yep, and there were planes flying mm. overhead and birds and. Leaves rustling, and the woman I was interviewing was incredibly nervous. And the planes flying and the cars going past made it impossible. So we actually went back to the 
to the Foxtel studio and, and, and did it in a studio where she was much more comfortable. So um, I think people are still learning how to – what yeah. works and what doesn't. Yeah. Mm. Um, but I do, I do think the idea of actually using a podcast for the purposes of promoting television is, is, mm. is interesting. I, mm. I don't know whether it will work but it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's all sorts of, you know, if you look at the range of podcasts that we've had over the last few years, there's been sort of the, the crime ones, which have been enormously popular, mm. you know, Serial from the States and um, Trace. And, and in terms of podcasts, some of those cases actually helping crimes be solved, you know, or criminals mm. be, be found or whatever. Um, and, you know, if you look at, at lists of podcasts, there's, they're ranging from knitting to, you know, people in motorhomes talking about their sort of grey nomad travels. There's music, there's just about every topic, you know, that you can imagine. Um, do you think there's sort of other areas that podcasts can maybe venture into, you know, that you've thought of or maybe heard about? Catherine, what do you think are the sort of possibilities, I guess, for podcasting going forward? I think, I'm not sure about the possibilities, but I think one of the very nice things about podcasting is that um, because that act of creating them is a very intimate, you, you know, often it says me and Kate talking, you are much more candid than you would be elsewhere. So if you look at something like social media, um, the content, I mean, even myself, like doing uh, Instagram mm. posts and all the rest of it, it's mm. so heavily curated, whereas podcasts from a, I guess, from a branding perspective, um you can't really do that as much, you know. You mm. sort of, even in a literal sense, you have to speak in your own voice. Um, yeah, so I, yeah. I think as a an author engaging with readers outside of writing books, um, I sort of see it in that sense mm. Um, mm. more than where podcasting mm. as a medium on its own could head. Yeah. Al, what do you? Uh, I think it's one of those situations where there, like, there, there's the possibility of a niche podcast for every single mm. possible subject that you could imagine. Um, generally speaking, podcasting, if you particularly, you know, the the way that it's set up these days, most people can do it for a fairly low cost mm. um, situation if you're not too stressed about about the ten out of ten sound quality all the time. Um, and so, I think that it's the the possibilities are there to create a podcast about any single possible subject that you might have a quirky passion for, which I think is brilliant. The difficulty becomes it's like authors, you know, which we've known forever and, and musicians have also known forever, um, is, is people finding you? Is actually anybody in the whole world ever listening to your podcast? Um, and that's always going to be the challenge, I think. And as the podcast market becomes more and more saturated, that becomes even more of an issue going forward. So I think it's like... Um, Lots of people think, oh, I'm going to start a podcast because, you know, that's the thing to do. We should totally do that because that's what we should be doing because everyone's doing it. So let's go and do that. Um, and then they come up against the, the brick wall of how do I ever – how does anyone ever find me? And I think – so I think the interesting thing with podcasting going forward is probably going to be that of, of – it may, and maybe it's the cross-pollination with television and maybe it's the cross-pollination with books. Um, for me as an author, it's just an opportunity for me to reach people um, as myself – um, which, you know, when I write my books, I'm reaching people, you know, through my books, et cetera. When I write for newspapers, I'm doing, you know, that. I'm doing – I'm reporting on other things. This is an opportunity for people to hear 
me for myself, talking about whatever it is that interests me on that particular day. And as I said, people, they they feel like we have a relationship, yeah. like they know me. A woman put a message on my Facebook page one day because I'd gone, I'd driven through Taree and bought a $5 flannelette shirt at that Taree op shop for my husband. <laughs> you were ripped off. I was ripped off. It was brand new though. I was very, very shiny. And um, anyway, I posted about it on Facebook somewhere, I don't know, randomly. Look what I got at the Taree op shop. And she, she, put a post, a comment under it saying, you know, I saw that you were here and then I was really upset that you hadn't come to see me and then I realised that you don't know who I am. And I was like, this is not awkward at all. What do I say? <laughs> Thanks for comment. <laughs> I just wanted to ensure. So, yeah, that it, it does create a relationship with mm. your community um, that I think is hard to, to get in any other mm. format. Mm. David, what about, do you think, you know, you're talking about that relationship with television. Can you see any other possibilities for podcasts? Look, uh, it's, I think one of the interesting points that was made there is now there's so much content out there. How do you yeah. get your content listened to? Yeah. Or indeed, do you want that or are you happy just yeah. doing mm. it as a Putting form of yeah. mm. expressing yourself, um, which is perfectly mm. valid. When I, when I did my one, I, I, there weren't very many podcasts being produced in Australia at all. So people wrote about it and, you know wrote nice things in Rolling Stone magazine, which is the Ooh. only time they write nice things about Australian history in Rolling Stone as far <laughs> as I've been able to make out. And they went they went to the wall shortly after that, so perhaps it <laughs> wasn't such a high point. But um, um, I think podcasting when I did, did the first one was, was a novelty. Now I think it's so popular. Mm. One of the areas I think there is a real potential to move in is back to the old-style radio plays mm. that... Um, uh, you know, even when I was a kid, you'd still have a radio play mm. on, on the radio and that just died um, with the advent of, of colour TV in particular, I think. And I think the capacity for minimal cost to get a number of people around a microphone and not like an audio book where you're doing a standard narration or not like a podcast where you're people talking about factual content, but the ability to do something creative and dramatic, um, I think there's probably a real untapped market for um, uh, oral theatre. Um, and I'd, I'd, I'd actually listen to, to that more than I would probably a, a, standard, a standard podcast if, yeah. there was, if there were people doing that of, 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 of reasonable quality. Why not you? I'm, I'm, I'd, I'd like to listen to it, but I, I, I wouldn't actually like to invest the time to, <laughs> right. to, to, to do that. Mm. Um, I actually don't like to write or listen to anything I, I'm actually really interested in. I, I love reading fantasy and science fiction. That's my oh. passion. I don't want to write fantasy or science fiction because that would kill that had killed the joy, my, yeah. it, the joy that's of – That's my escape. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, theatre is my escape and therefore um, – yeah, anything too closely related to that, I, I don't. I, I don't really want to do. So, mm. yeah. What about in terms of podcasts that you guys listen to? Do you have sort of favourites that you tune in to, Catherine? Are you? Uh, one of my favourites is a podcast called Good One. It's a podcast about jokes, so um, <laughs> it's phenomenal. So it's it's US based. The interviewer each episode will meet with a comedian. And first you'll hear, like, Jerry Seinfeld do a 15-minute stand-up comedy routine on donut holes, something like that. <laughs> and then um, 
Jerry and the interviewer will dissect every oh, tiny. That sounds great. It's so they'll like to the to the point of Jerry, you did this joke in 2013 and you changed these three words. Compared, <laughs> like, why did you do? Like, it's wow. But it's yeah. in its best form. It also kind of moves. There's a writing and a humor element that's interesting. But it also moves into sort of a social analysis of why something is funny um, and how the joke is working. It's just right. it's a and fabulous. how that changes over time, sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, there was another one. Um, Ria Butcher, I think, was talking. So the joke is sort of it's her on an aeroplane, and she looks like a boy. And so a lot of people mistake her for a boy and call her sir. And she sort of um, has this whole sort of humor humorous situation that happens around her being mistaken for a boy. But then she sort of, when you talk about it afterwards, it's really an analysis of gender and the way mm. it's it's just a fascinating mm. podcast. And that one's the good one. Is it's that called Good One. Yeah. Any yeah. other top top three? Uh, I love Chat 10 Looks 3 with mm. Annabelle Crabbe and Lee Sales for that voyeuristic listening in on a conversation um, element. And I love, it's another one, the History Chicks, which is just two women, they pick a woman in history and they talk about that woman for an episode. Mm, great. Haven't heard of that one, mm, so tune in. Al, what are your favourites? Um, well, as I said, I'm not, I don't listen to a huge number of them. The ones that I have been totally and utterly gripped by have been things like Serial, Teacher's mm-hmm. Pet. Mm-hmm. And the reason I think that they have got me in, in a way that a lot of podcasts don't always get me in, is the storytelling aspect of them mm-hmm. and the investigative journalism aspect of them. I love the fact that those um, kinds of podcasts really highlight the work that goes into investigative journalism and how it can be an actual, you know, a, actually yeah. a really... Um, a really good thing. So I really like that. There's a lovely little podcast called the is called One More Page podcast, and it's a it's a kid lit podcast, oh, yeah. and they um, review books, and that it's aimed at at kids and and parents and you know consumers of of um, children's books as opposed to writers of children's books mm. or anything like that. And and I'm also a fan. If I'm going to listen to a podcast, I love the the crab sales. Um, chat 10 looks three because I think it is that thing of you know you feel like when you listen to that you're listening to you know two clever women that could be your friend if you really wanted them to mm. be your friend and if they're not your friend well you can listen to them anyway which I think is you know part mm. of the aspect of it but they do they do make you feel like um, and particularly with that huge they also have a huge Facebook community um, and it's a really kind of warm and su- it's the mm, warm it's they're yeah. warm yeah they're very I look warm, for warm and fuzzy I like yeah. warm yeah, yeah. David, what about are you a listener of podcasts? Uh, I'm not. I'm not a great listener, mm. but there are some that I'll listen to occasionally and and think that was enjoyable. Yep. Um, so, um, and interestingly, they're all American, older white men. Um, geez, what does that say about <laughs> me? But um, so, um, Mark Maron, I think, does a wonderful podcast, um, as, as does Alec Baldwin, where they basically oh. just interview somebody, talk about whatever gets their goat and it's mm. quite a free-flowing, ranty style of presentation but they're clearly fired up about a particular mm. issue and their interest in the topic or the person really comes through. Um, and the other podcast that I really enjoy listening to is called The Dollop, which is a, mm. uh, a wonderful history podcast, two American guys who actually will come to Australia and do Australian history podcasts in theatres, record them, 
um, uh, you know, with Will Anderson and, and people like that and then, then go back to America. And what's really good about it is they'll come to Australia and they will not know a lot about a bit of Australian history um, and one of them will research the topic and then communicate this information to the other one um, and you get the natural reaction and, and the storytelling comes out and the interplay between yeah. the two hosts is really, really good. Um, um, so for anybody who's interested in world history, um, uh, they have done hundreds of them now and um, they're one of the few podcasting teams that has essentially they are making a living and travelling the world doing doing podcasts and most people haven't worked out how to monetize mm, yeah podcasting it's more an attempt to even with you know books mm. and things you're promoting a particular community you're promoting another art form whatever it is but these guys have seemed to have worked out how yeah. to make a living Did out of podcasting Did you listen to their one on Uber? I no I haven't oh, it's no very, it's very good very no. troubling but very good <laughs> well, <laughs> that one was called the dollop did you say it's 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 called the dollop and just just to show I mean how absurd a, a Australian history is and they did this story um, on the dollop around uh, the turn of the the twentieth century there were the the larrikin street gangs the pushers of both Sydney and Melbourne and Melbourne had a gang called the Crutchy Gang that was only open to amputees all uh, a gang full of one legged men with crutches who were Seriously into violent crime. Wow. They, 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 they were beating people with their crutches and robbing them. Wow. And there was one guy in there who had two legs but only had one arm. And he was sort of a token member of the crutchy gang. <laughs> and the two guys from the dollop, the, there's extensive writing about the crutchy gang in newspapers of the turn of the century. And so I knew about them as a historian. And I'm actually very sad that somebody else is stealing my thunder <laughs> of telling the story. Taking your material. That these two American guys will speak for an hour about the exploits of the amputee violent street gang of, of Melbourne. Wow. So, but it's great that you can go to another country and pick something obscure and, and, and run with it. They do that very, very well. Well, just before we get on to question time, just very quickly, if you could each tell us what your current or slash next project is not necessarily in podcasting but what what you're working on david we'll start with you and uh yeah i'm working on a tv show called aussie inventions that changed the world eh? uh in which they put me in a well that's the new zealand version um <laughs> they 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 put me in a in, in an akubra um and make me push a victor lawnmower and i was about probably 15 kilos choice. heavier than i am now i look like i've just eaten barnaby joyce um <laughs> And and so that that debuts uh, on on Monday night on the History Channel at okay. at seven thirty for the next two months. Um, if you want to see me talking about dual flush toilets and Victor Lawrence wearing things. an Akubra, can't wait. Wearing an Akubra, <laughs> fantastic. Alison, what are you um, working okay, on? Okay, so we've just launched So You Want to Be a Writer, the book, um, which is very, very exciting. Uh, so I've been pretty busy doing that. But I'm also writing a new middle grade novel, um, which because I of the way I write, I have no true real idea of what it's about yet. But um, I'm sure it's going to be awesome when it's finished, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. <laughs> totally. And Catherine? Uh, I'm working on a novel that is set around the... Postmasters 
it's not Toastmasters, something like Toastmasters, which is a public speaking club set around the Toastmasters Public Speaking World Championships. So Ooh. it follows competitors mm. who want to win. Sounds like fun. <laughs> uh, we do have time for some questions. When a person reads a book, they don't do anything else while they're reading. They are totally immersed in that experience, where, of course, when they listen to an audio book, they could be driving, knitting, cooking, whatever. Do you, as writers, have a concern about how invested then a person becomes in that story if they are otherwise occupied whilst they're listening to the story? Great question. Who would like to tackle that one? Uh, as in, do, do, do I think they won't get what I'm, I'm saying or they'll... Yeah, um, look, I, I think people consume content in, in, an, in an increasingly wide variety of ways. Um, and as, as, as somebody who's, 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 who's creative, you can never know... All, all of your different audience members will have widely different responses. My favourite ever review for Gert was one star shit, full stop. Um, and somebody else will give it a, you know, a five-star rating and say this is an act of great, you know. So people, people, um, people are different. People consume things differently. And I think that's okay. I've, in, in my children's picture book writing, um, I've written an ending for a, a book about a relationship with the boy and the imaginary friend that different readers take in different ways. Um, people will think um, the imaginary friend has died or the imaginary friend has been recreated as the real friend and they will have different views about what I was actually writing and that's okay. So um, my view would be if you are opening people up to a new way of... of consuming creativity, then that's great. That being said, I don't listen to audiobooks for exactly that reason because I don't want to hear somebody else's voice speaking the voices of characters that in my mind might be quite different and I want to picture those images in my own head and so, you know, I won't listen to audiobooks because I get so much more reading it myself but for people who do that's that's great yeah the narrator can make a huge difference to to a story you know like i know some audiobooks i listen to straight away perfect narrator and others oh if it's a book i'm familiar with and really love and I, the narrator doesn't click with me you know mm. i'll just but um alison have you got any thoughts on that that idea of double you know multitasking and listening and well you know i guess because i write for children um who are half the time you know, turning <laughs> cartwheels or, or lying in bed. I mean, I watch my 12-year-old son read books. Um, so he so – I've got two boys who are quite different. I have a 15-year-old a who has always been an incredibly focused and voracious reader and remains so, has been running his own book review blog for three years um, and continues and has – in saying that, John Green's po uh, podcast was hugely um, influential on him when he was about 13 because – John Green's podcast is full of philosophy and poetry and all of this stuff. And I would come home and he would be sitting there reading some, you know, having dragged my Shakespeare off the off the shelf. And I'd be like, why are you reading Macbeth? And he'd be like, well, John Green told me to. Right, mm -hmm. go, John. That's awesome. Um, whereas then I have also a 12-year-old who is uh, 
we call it, we, we always say he's like a Kelpie. You know, he needs to be run 5K a day or he goes a little <laughs> bit mad. And watching him read a book is is a completely different experience. He'll like read it and put it down and then he'll go around the block and then he'll come back and he'll have another crack at it and he'll get into bed and he'll, he's got seven books beside his bed. He's reading all of them at the same time because when he's bored three pages in, he just moves on. So I, I think that, you know, as with, as what, with, um, with what David said, everybody – goes about their um, their reading or whatever it is in a different way. Um, if someone chooses to read an audio, uh, to listen to an audio book of, of, the, of any of my books when I finally get organised and get them, <laughs> um, I will be wrapped. So, yeah, I just think, I think we choose to, to go about the, the, um, the taking in of our creative stories in whatever way suits us. Catherine? Uh, I would say, I mean, I would agree with what these guys have said, I would say the books that I listen to on audiobook, I probably, um, I, I first of all, I would listen to more non-fiction because mm-hmm. I think it's more forgiving if you lapse. I, I think I go in with the expectation that I will get less out of that book mm-hmm. um, as a reader. Mm-hmm. Um, as an aside, I do think there needs to be a word for the act of, because you say I read that, I mean, it's listening, but... Um, that you read an audio book. So it's almost like they need to – like yeah. the Germans would have thought of a word. Yeah, they Yeah, because you're sort of – you're listening yeah. but you're, yeah, you're reading. You're claiming it's, to mm, have read mm, but it, it's – yeah. Mm, mm. Is it cheating? Is it well, cheat- it's a, it's a, that's a question again that comes up in the Your Kids Next Read group is, is it cheating if, if my kid listens to the book instead mm. of reading the book? And I'm like, well, only in the sense that, I mean, at the end of the day – Reading takes in a huge amount of, 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 you know, importance in our lives for a range of different reasons, everything from filling out the forms mm-hmm. to, you know, doing all the various things. So, you know, getting that reading, um, the literacy level up with the reading is important. Taking in a story, though, mm-hmm. is, um, is a different it's a different thing and I think it, that um, something that I think kids often miss out on in school these days um, because of NAPLAN, because of standardised testing, because of all those things is just that exposure to creativity and storytelling and I think that audiobooks for kids delivers that mm. in spades. It yeah. emphasises comprehension too. Mm, absolutely, mm. understanding, yeah. yes, mm. true. Great. Any other questions? Up the back. Where's our mic? Hi. Do you have to pay to to post podcasts or to, to do podcasts? Alan, do you want to? I don't know. I don't do it. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure you can just put it up on iTunes. Um, there are different there are different ways, um, different aggregators for podcasts, and I think they all have different rules. Um, and you, a part of the the thing with the distribution of a podcast is that you want your podcast to be available um, to as many people on as many platforms as possible. We have. Um, we have listeners who absolutely refuse to go to iTunes for, you know, ethical reasons. And so we try to make sure that our podcast is available on several different ways and you can listen directly off our website as well. So you can make your choice as to how you want to take in your podcast in much the same way as you can choose, you know, how you want to read your book basically. I think we had another question. Yeah, I was interested in what David was saying about um, rap, about radio plays and the fact that uh, this, uh, this is a a good way of getting back into that stuff. But I'm interested, uh, having worked in community radio for some time, whether any of you has thought of that as a, as a, as a means of production, if you like, to get, to, to get your message out and to get your podcast produced. Well, I mean, certainly my, my podcast was, was produced by, by a radio 
a, a platform uh, effectively. Um, and so it's very useful because you're dealing with people who are experienced with sound and you're dealing with people who understand the impact of the spoken word. So, um, which is why, you know, Triple M now has its own podcast arm because they have recognised they've got the in-house production skills in producing radio to produce something else. So whether it's community radio or radio generally, I think that's where, and, and indeed Audible is getting into the podcast business. So these are, these are pockets where there are a bunch of people with the right sorts of skills and interests. And interestingly, as I said, doing one with Foxtel who are very visual in everything they do, they're much less clear on how the spoken word works without the pictures. So mm. I think radio um, tapping into radio voice um, actors, um, stage actors, people who are familiar with the spoken word, is, is there's a real opportunity there. Mm. I love the fact that radio stations now will podcast a lot of their content as well. So from my perspective as an author, um, radio is radio is brilliant. I've always loved radio. I've always loved talking, like being interviewed on radio. And the, ge- the genius thing about it now is they will often make the interview available as a podcast. And so if people – so I can say to people, I'm going to be on the radio at 10 o'clock on Monday morning, you know, blah, 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 with Nick Reinberger, whatever um, – if you don't happen to be in the area or you don't happen to remember to turn your radio on, you miss it. Whereas if they podcast it, I can then share it across all of my platforms to all of my readers. If it's particularly good, I will put it through out through my newsletter. So it gives us a couple of opportunities to promote the work. And I have a couple of young friends who are 15 and 17 and they run a community radio show on Triple uh, U up in the, in the Shoalhaven. And that was one of the things I said to them, you guys need to work mm-hmm. out how to podcast that program that you do because it allows you to then share it again and again yeah, and again and again. It's not just a one-off. It's not just a mm, one-off. And I mm. think that that's something that um, that the bigger radio stations have definitely got hold of mm. and they're definitely using that to their advantage. Catherine, was there anything you wanted to add? Well, that does bring us to four o'clock, so we're at the end of our session. So I think it's been a really interesting um, chat and I'd really like to thank David Alison and Catherine for joining us on The Power of Sound. Thank you. you. Thanks for coming along. And thank you for coming. If you'd like to know more about StoryFest, head on over to their website, www.storyfest.org.au, or check them out on Facebook and Twitter. If you enjoyed this episode of Rights for Festivals, then head on over to our website, www.rightsforwomen.com forward slash rights for festivals to hear all the other episodes and festivals we have to offer. We have done a few, so check them all out there. You can also um, subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google or wherever you get your pods. Please do give us a rating and review wherever you're getting your pods from um, because it does actually let everybody else find out about us too. So let all the other festival goers know that if you can't get to some of these festivals, you can actually catch them all here on Rights for Festivals, the podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting Australian writers and writing festivals. Catch you next time. This podcast episode was produced, recorded and edited by me, Kel Butler, at Listen Up Podcasting. Podcast for a Positive World.